Well, let's begin reading Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. One of the sports that I participated in when I was in high school was track. One of the things that I'd always been good at is I'd been good at running long distance. I was slow as a sprinter. I was not. I was never very fast. You know, like a hundred-yard dash, never won those things. But when we'd run laps in PE or to get ready for other sports, I could run a long ways without a lot of effort. And so my freshman year, I decided to go out for the track team. And I decided, well, I'll just run the longest race they had then. And the longest race that we had was two miles. And so I ran two miles. It's eight laps around the track. And that's, that was my event. So to, to prepare for that and practice every day, we'd go out in the hillsides and the countryside. And we would run where we had more uphills and downhills and things like that. And we would run five to six miles a day for practice. And it's right after wrestling season. So I was in great shape from being in, in wrestling during the winter. But you know what? Come to that first race. I remember my first race ever. It was at a school that was larger than ours, and it was an invitational meet, so there was lots of different schools there. And our school was probably one of the smallest, if not the smallest, school that participated in that event. And I remember we all got out on the starting line, and there was a big field of runners. They said go, and we took off running. And I thought, wow, these guys are starting at quite a pace. And so I thought, I'm going to have to pick mine up a little bit to what I'm used to going at. And so I picked up my pace a little bit, and I was pushing it. And I thought, well, they'll slow down as time goes on. Not so much. (laughs) And I just kept pushing it and going. And I was getting tired and my legs were getting a little wobbly. And I wasn't the last guy in the pack, but uh, I wasn't the first by any means either. About a lap and a half left, I think, I could hear footsteps behind me. And I thought, they're not lapping me. They're not lapping me. Well, they lapped me. <laughs> At least one guy did. I thought, nobody else. And I, he, only one guy lapped me. And I didn't even know the rule on that. He starts yelling lane or something like that. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You're supposed to move over if you're getting lapped. Give the guy the inside. So I, I finally figured it out, and I stepped over and let him by and tripped him. No, I didn't. But, <laughs> but uh, anyway, the last lap, I could hear more footprints, and I thought, nobody else is lapping me, and I'm pushing it for all I've got. And, I, and, and he didn't, and I made it across that finish line, took about three steps to the inside of the track and fell on the ground. My stomach was in knots. My legs were like rubber. I was having a hard time breathing. I just thought, oh, I just want to die right here. You know what? I realized something, that if I'm going to compete at this, I'm, my endurance is not what it needs to be. i got to be able to not just endure two miles. i got to be able to pick up the pace. And so I started working a little bit harder at building up that endurance. The recipients of the book of Hebrews, those Hebrew Christians, that's what they're learning through this. They'd started out well, but now they're slowing down. And they're looking at, why am I doing this? I remember thinking that during that race too. But these people are slowing down in their relationship with Christ. They're slowing down in their faithfulness. They're tempted to go back to that. And he's telling them, look, that's not what you need. What you need is more endurance. You're finding that the pressures that you're that you're receiving, the persecutions that you're experiencing, those are pushing you to a new level. But what you need is your level of endurance to rise with the challenge. 
Just like I needed my level of endurance to rise to the challenge of that race, they needed their they needed their level of endurance to rise to the demands that their Christian life was putting on them. And you know what? That's the exact same thing that we need in our life too. The Christian life is not a sprint. The Christian life is a marathon. It's not about all the, the, the short mountaintop experiences. It's about the valley on the other side as well. I remember when that dawned on me as a, as a fairly young Christian. I remember looking for the high points, looking for the, the, the really cool new thing that you learned or the really awesome speaker you got to listen to or the really fun time at a retreat or something like that. And, and one day it dawned on me. Those are not everyday events. But Christianity is an everyday life. My Christian life was not going to be just about the high points. On the days when it feels like drudgery, on the days when it feels like nothing's going right, on the days when it feels like life is crumbling, that's when you really need your endurance. That's when your faith is really proved and strengthened, is during those hard times. You know, that's why my, my coaches and stuff in the different sports that I participated in really pushed you. Because they knew at those times when you're kind of gasping for air, when, you're, when you can't lift that last weight, or it's at those times where you're really being strengthened and tested. Whether you'll buckle down for another one. Whether you'll fight for more endurance. At the end of chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews, we saw him talking to the people right along this line. First of all, he encouraged them. It said, look, at first you had good endurance. In fact, in chapter 10, verse 32, it says, But recall the former days after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. But then he goes on to tell them, now you're starting to slack, but what you need is more endurance. And so when we get to verses 35 and 36, he tells them, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Then he goes into this whole chapter 11, which is that's what it's all been about, is remaining faithful, having this endurance. In fact, he, he mentions that about Moses and his example, left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And then when we get to chapter 12, it says in verse 1, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And then in verse 2, it says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. And then in verse 3, Consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself. And then down into verse 7, it says, It is for discipline that you have to endure. And God is treating you as sons. And then the last time He mentions it is in chapter 13. It says, Therefore, let us go to Him outside the camp, and bear the reproach he endured. So you see, he, all the way back at chapter 10, when he was reflecting on how well they had been doing, they'd endured well, but you need more endurance for what you have to go through now, for your present situation. And then he gave them a whole chapter full of people that endured faithfully for God. How does all that example apply to our life? Endurance. He compares our life to a race, and he says, let us run this race with endurance. You're running the race. The question is whether you will do it with endurance or not. Well, as we look at this idea of running with endurance, we're going to find in this passage three helps. Three helps that will help us to get by with that. You know, I remember my coach giving me some helps. I remember him coming alongside of me, and he asked me, he says, what's your breathing pattern? I said, my what? 
I'll breathe in and I'll breathe out. It's a pretty good pattern. <laughs> and then he gave me something more specific. He said, breathe in two short breaths, out one long one. Maybe, maybe time it with your steps so you can keep track of it a little better. Gave me something a little more to focus on. Give me in more of a, a rhythm, giving the body what it needs to be able to do that kind of thing. And it helped. Well, that's what we're finding as we look in, in Hebrews, is he's giving them some helps here on how they can run this race with endurance. And the first help that he gives them is to imitate. He calls upon them to imitate. And, and for this, he's looking back. Notice how chapter 12 starts out. He says, therefore, which as we know, every time we come across the word therefore, we're supposed to go back and see what it's there for, right? In other words, what he's about to say is based on what he already said. And what he's said so far is he said, look at the faith of, of Enoch. Look at the faith of Abel. Look at the faith of Abraham and Sarah. Look at the faith of, of Moses. Look at the faith of all these people and all these heroes of the faith of the Old Testament. And then he says, based on that, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance. The first help that he gives us is somebody to imitate. He says, look, follow their example. Do what they're doing. By the end of the passage, he's going to include Christ in that example and say, look at Christ. Consider Christ. It's like, I don't know, I think I've used it for an illustration probably too many times about when I learned how to ski the first time. What finally did it for me is just getting behind somebody and snow skiing. just followed him and I just shifted the way he shifted. And pretty soon I was skiing down the hills. That's exactly what he's calling on these people to do. And he's saying, look, look at how Moses did it. Look at how Abraham did it. Look at how Sarah did it. Look at how, look at how all these other people did it. Look at how Abel did it. Do it like they did it. Those are examples of faith. Those are examples of endurance. Hang in there. They could do it. So can you. He gives us kind of a picture. And the picture is an arena. You're in this arena and crowd is all around you in the bleachers. And then down on the floor is the track. And he says, you're about to run your race. But he's like, picture this. He says, you're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And he's referring to all the people of chapter 11. And so in other words, as you're running your race... You can look up in the crowd and you can see Moses, Abraham, all the heroes of the faith. And what does that do for you? The point that he's making is all these people did it. You can do it. Some people accomplish great things for God. You can accomplish great things for God through faith. Some people endured horrendous sufferings for God. You can endure horrendous suffering for Christ. You can do it. I always love that in, in, in James, I think it's chapter 5, and he refers to Elijah, and he says Elijah was a man of like passions. In other words, uh, as my missions professor used to say, that just means he's made out of the same stuff you are. You know, a lot of times we take those people and we put them on a pedestal, and that's a good thing because they are good examples for us, but the fact of the matter is they're still just people. Moses was just a guy. Sarah was just a lady. They're, they were just people like you and I. People that had problems, people that had uh, sin in their life at times, people that had struggles, people that had fears. They were just like us. But they were just people that endured. They were people that trusted. And so what he's saying here is, look, as you're running your race, you can look up in the stands and be reminded, Moses did it, Abraham did it, Elijah did it, David did it. I can do it. You know what? God gives us those even in our lives, too. I've got, I've got friends and I've, I've got people that I know that 
and, and people in this church too, that, that just being around them makes me stronger. Like in, in ministry, for example, Mark Young, every time I'm around him, I want to be a better pastor. Every time. Without fail. Now, we don't, we don't schedule in, <laughs> we're going to talk about ministry during this time or anything. It just happens. We go down there just to enjoy each other because we care about each other. And we've been very close. We've been like family for years. But you know what? Every time, every time I'm around him, I want to be better at some of the things that he's better at. It's just, it just strengthens me. God gives us those people in our lives, and he gives us those people in the record of Scripture, and we're to imitate the things, the positive qualities that we see in their lives to help us to run that race of endurance. But not only are we to imitate, we're also to separate. Just notice what he says in the, in the passage here. Still in verse 1, he says, let us also, notice there's two, two times in here, it says let us. The second one is actually the main point that we're looking at. Let us run with endurance. But the first one, it tells us a little bit about how to run with endurance. In other words, it's a help for us. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Now, I'd put these things into two different categories as I look at them. The first one is the things that are unprofitable. We're setting aside things that are unprofitable. We're separating ourselves from those things. In other words, these aren't necessarily things that are bad. In fact, some of them may be very enjoyable. Some of them may even be good things. But sometimes even too much of a good thing gets us out of balance, and we end up not doing our best in serving Christ. They're just a weight. What is a weight to somebody that's running a race? A weight is a hindrance that keeps you from doing as well as you could. I remember that first year of track, we're coming up toward uh, that first track meet, and they finally hand out the uniforms. And they put this pair of shorts in your hand, and I almost thought I missed it for a second because it didn't feel like you were holding anything. It was so lightweight. And I looked at my coach, and I said, I'm not wearing this. And he said, yes, you are. He says, if you're running, you're wearing it. Now, they weren't, they weren't immodest, but they felt immodest. When you, when you put them on, you can feel the air going through them. You had to look twice to make sure you remembered to dress. But they weren't, it wasn't like they were, you know, skin tight or anything. They weren't see-through, but you swore they were going to be. I didn't know there was so light a material. And he said, this is the lightest weight thing I can find for you to run in, and that's your best advantage. And so that's what I ran in. But you know what, I remember one time we went to a track meet in the Highlands. And up in the Highlands, there was always windy. All the time. Since you're running in an oval, you're facing wind half the time. We knew it was going to be like that. We get there, and it turns out when it comes to my race, the two-mile, there was only three people running it. The guy that was on my team that was a senior that I never beat all year long, he beat me every time. There was me, and then one guy from the Highlands. It came time to line up for the race, and, and it's cold up there, and it's early spring. And I thought, man, this is going to be a cold two miles, and it was. But the guy that we ran against, he steps up to the starting line. He's still got his sweatsuit on. Full sweatpants, hoodie, everything. He ran the whole two mile with a full sweatsuit on. Kind of jogged. I got to lap him. Finally, I got to lap somebody. And when I come around, he says, how's it going? (laughs) But I think his hands were even in the pocket as he was jogging along there. My fingers are frozen because you're pumping them like this to try to get a good time. And and, uh, he's just kind of... uh, I'm not sure what he was doing, getting in shape for something else maybe or punishment. Maybe that's their form of detention. I don't know. But this guy was full sweatsuit. One thing I knew about that guy, I didn't know why he was there, but I knew it wasn't serious. You see, that's what serious runners do is they set aside those weights. 
That's, that's what we do in our walk for Christ. We, we set aside certain things that might hinder us. Yeah, things might be, there might be events that are fun, but we're not going to spend our whole life at those events because they're not the things that bring honor and glory to Christ all the time. Because we also need time focusing on other things and being involved in other areas of life and ministry and relationship with people. And we need to handle all of life well, not just the fun things. You need to set aside those weights, those things that aren't in and of themselves bad, but they're just a, they're just going to hinder you in your walk with Christ. Eugene O'Neill said this. He says, you cannot build a marble temple out of a mixture of mud and manure. I remember talking to a music professor when I was in college because the college I went to had high music standards. You know, you could get in trouble going to a Steve Green concert, if that gives you any indication. Steve Green, I love Steve Green's music, and I think a guy's got a great heart for ministry. I think he's got an awesome ministry. I've been to his concerts. I just waited until I was out of college to go because I signed a paper saying I wouldn't go to those things. And I took a class on those called music orientation. And I remember asking my music professor one time, and I said, you know, we read these books that tell us God refers to music, I think it was 900 and some times in the Bible, so obviously music is very important to God. I said, all right, now you've got to be honest. Most of those references that you're talking about are saying things like praise God with the psaltery and the sackbut, whatever those are, and different stringed instruments. And worshiping God, they have nothing to do with music standards or whether or not you should go to a Steve Green concert. I said there's a couple places that remotely come close to setting that music standard. I said, if, I said bad music's been around forever, right? Ever since sin probably? He said, yeah. I said, well, then why doesn't it give us just a clear cut? Why, how come every time I ask why is this song wrong or that song right, why do you tell me i got to have a hymnology degree to understand it? Nothing else in my Christian life do I have to have a hymnology degree or any other degree for. And he answered me with this question. He said, I'd agree with you that there's some music out there that's not necessarily good or bad. It's just kind of fun, right? And I said, yeah, absolutely. I'd agree with that. He said, "Um, you uh, go to the fair? The fair had just come through Owatonna. And I said, yeah. Thought he was changing the subject on me. He said, did you take your kids? Yeah. Buy them cotton candy? Yes. He says, but now you don't really want them living on it, do you? You're going to let them have that for dinner? You're going to let them have it for three squares of the day? I said, ah, I got you. He said, yeah, there's some songs that are out there. There's some music out there that just can be just kind of fun. He said, but you know what? When you think about your, your relationship to music, won't it help your walk better with Christ? If, with most of the time what you're listening to is Christ-oriented, God-honoring Music that will encourage your faith and strengthen your walk with Him. Wouldn't it be better to have something that is profitable versus something that is just unprofitable at best? Now that makes sense. I still think Steve Green's fine though. <laughs> He's definitely in the profitable category <laughs> for, for what we're talking about here. Socrates made this statement. He said the unexamined life is not worth living. And, and that's what he's calling us to do here. He's, he's calling us to examine our life and to look at the, the activities and the events of our life and the, and the influences in our life and say what influences are profitable and what influences are holding us back in our relationship with Christ. But then he goes on from there to the things that are actually harmful. He talks about the sin that clings so closely or so easily entangles us. I was working on something the other day and I had an air hose out. And when I walked across it, I caught it with one leg, uh, drug the air hose into the back of my other leg, and I'm kind of tripping up there. I didn't land on the ground, but it, I stumbled a little bit. 
That's what it's talking about here. It's given that idea of something that's tripping us up, that's actually causing harm, a sin that clings so closely. And you know what? That's just the nature of sin. It just does, doesn't it? You know, if I could move to a different analogy for just a moment, I would guess I would go to gardening. I always think of gardening. Not that I'm a huge gardener, but I've always had this one mystery that I'm, that I'm curious about. How come you've got to work so hard to get the good stuff to grow and the weeds just grow everywhere? Wouldn't you think that it would at least be even? That they would both grow the same? They don't, do they? The weeds just like overtake everything. They just like overcome. They just, you don't have to try to get weeds to grow. You have to try not to let weeds grow and they still grow. But with the good stuff, you have to try to get it to grow and it might grow if you know what you're, if you know what you're doing. But that's just the way it is and that's the way he's talking about it here. He talks about that sin that clings so closely, that so easily entangles us. We could really got to be on our guard for that. And we need to put up safeguards for ourselves to make sure that we're not getting tripped up by that sin or getting entangled in that. Maybe we need somebody to hold us accountable in different areas. Or, you know, we need to think through. We need to evaluate our life and say, what kind of sins am I having struggles with? One of the things that I've liked to do down through, the, down through my years as a Christian is, when I struggle with a certain sin, then I go find a Bible verse that, or two that deal with that. And maybe I'll write them on a three-by-five card and just stick them in my pocket. They'll just go everywhere with me. That way, if I'm standing in line somewhere or, or pumping gas or anything, I can just pull it out, read through it a little bit. And my goal really isn't to memorize it. It always ends up memorized. My goal is to understand it. How can this, what exactly does it say, what does it mean, and what does it mean to my life right now? How can I put this to work in my life? And you know what I find is that as I do that, God's Word begins to transform my way of thinking, and pretty soon I'm not wrestling with that sin anymore. I can go learn another verse to wrestle with the one I'm dealing with after that. But that's what He's telling us to do. He's saying, look, we need to set aside, first of all, those unprofitable things. We also need to get rid of the harmful things in our life the sin that damages our relationships with God and with others. Lastly, he gives us one more help. The final help that he gives us is meditate. So we're to imitate those who have gone before us and walked in faith. We're to separate from the things that are unprofitable or sinful in our lives. And we're to meditate. And what I'm going to do this, it kind of ties back into that first one of imitating. But I think it takes it to a new level. Because at this point, he's calling us not just to recognize what the people of faith before us went through, but he's pointing us to Jesus Christ himself. And he really leads us through a process of thinking through what Christ is and how that impacts our life in this situation, which is meditation. I know every time I talk about meditation with our little kids in our least time ministry, I always get at least one little kid that crosses his legs and does this little thing like Rafiki on the Lion King. Do you ever see that? And I always use that opportunity to say, you know what, that's really not, I don't care how you sit, that's not what meditation is. Meditation, there is one like transcendental meditation where you, you meditate and you try to clear your mind of everything, clear, open yourself up. That's not biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is more like a cow. Right? A cow has four stomachs and it chews up some food and it swallows it into the first stomach and then it burps it up and chews on it some more and then follows it into the second stomach. And it does that until it's done with all four stomachs. So before that cow is done with that food, it's eaten it four times. Well, that's what biblical meditation is. You bring that verse up and you maul it over. You think it through. You try to figure out how it applies to your life. And then 
you end up going on and doing other things and you come back later and you bring it up again and you think it through and you see new things that you didn't see the last time and, and you start to understand it better, understanding it deeper. You see, biblical meditation is not emptying your head, it's filling it. It's filling your mind with God's Word and God's principles, His truth. And that's what He's calling us to do for this last part. It says in verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And we're just going to kind of walk through this and see the things that we see about Jesus. The first thing it says is he's the founder. The word means like a, a pioneer. Every time I think of the word pioneer, I always think about the mountains back, back in Washington. You go back and forth through those mountains, and you go through some, you see some amazing scenery as you're winding through these mountain passes. And there's certain places along those mountain passes, whether you go over Snoqualmie or Chinook or White, how did the first guy do it? it. Now there's bridges and there's tunnels and there's roads and I mean things like dynamite were involved, lots of it, and heavy equipment and everything. And now we can fly across there at 70 miles an hour, the speed limit is. Why? Because somebody went before us and did it. And that's exactly what it's saying about Jesus. So he's the founder, the pioneer of our faith. It says he's also the perfecter. Remember back in chapters 9 and 10 especially, where it talked about Jesus through his once and for all sacrifice. He completed what was needed for our salvation. And that's what that idea of perfect is. Uh, perfect is. It's complete. It also says, Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. What exactly was joyful about the cross? It's not the experience of it that was joyful. It wasn't fun. In fact, when we look at the Jesus in the garden before going to the cross, He tells the Father, if there's any other way to do this, let's do it that way that bypasses the cross. But nevertheless, your will be done, not my will. So it's not the what he was going through. It's not the event of the cross that was joyful. What was joyful? I think I think it was a multitude of things. I think it was a one the accomplishment of the cross because in going to the cross he was delivering us from our sins. In going to the cross he would bring honor and glory to God the Father. In going to the cross he'd be obedient to the Father. In going to the cross, he'd be doing good. You see, all these are things that promote joy. And so even though it wasn't fun, it had a very joyful result. And so Jesus could look to that. It's the same thing if we go back to the running analogy or stick with that running analogy. Why does somebody put themselves through so much hardship training? Because it's going to be such a joy to come out victorious in a race. Or, or even, even just to have done well. Accomplish personal goals, a personal best. We put ourselves through things that are hard because we know that there's a greater joy that is beyond it that we will never experience without going through the stress and the strain, the agony. In fact, this word race is the word that we get our word agony from in the Greek language. Without the agony, we do not experience the greater joy that's beyond it, which is exactly why God allows the agony into our lives. And it's exactly why Christ went to the, and endured the agony of the cross was for the greater joy that laid beyond it. And then as we look at the last verse, he says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You know, this is kind of one of those experiences that he's trying to lead these readers into. Have you ever had that experience where you kind of feel bad for yourself? You kind of pity yourself. I wish I had things a little better or whatever. And then you come across somebody that has real problems. And then all of a sudden you feel like, 
I should not have been whining about my situation. And you see this. And undoubtedly, that person with real problems, with big problems, always has a better attitude with theirs than I seem to have had with my little ones, right? That's kind of what's going on with the, the author of Hebrews right here. He's saying, look at, look at Jesus. He's the pioneer of our faith. Look at what he suffered. He's going to remind these people a few verses later, you haven't resisted yet to blood, to blood yet. He's saying, look at Jesus. Look at how those sinners treated him. Look at how he went to the cross for you. Look at what he was able to endure for you. Now what are you going to endure for him? And he says, I'm reminding you of this. I'm focusing you on him. I'm, I'm having you meditate on Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished for you so that you won't grow weary. We need to run that race with endurance. In order to do that, he gives us people to imitate. We need to recognize that there's things in our life that we need to separate from. And we also need to meditate on who Jesus Christ is and follow in his steps.